Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. If you have ever noticed how many Christmas songs have to do with home, this longing, perhaps not nostalgic longing for home, trying to get home, you think I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams, right? Uh, no place like home for the holidays, even Christmas baby, please come home, right? All these different songs tapping into something deep within us. Christmas seems to awaken a longing for home. And we're going to talk about that this morning. This is the next series that's, or message in a series that we've been walking through during this Advent season that we're calling Christmas Threads. And the way this series has been organized is that each week we're pulling on a particular theme. It's like when you pull on that loose thread from a sweater, the one that you knew you should have cut, but instead you pulled it. And when you pulled it, it started to unravel the whole sweater because you realized that that thread is intertwined with the whole sweater. Well, in the same way, as we pull a theme each week, we're finding that it is intertwined with everything that God has been doing throughout history. And we're finding these themes are central to the Bible. They're central to the reason that Jesus came at the very first Christmas. And they are integral to what God is going to accomplish when Jesus comes again at the end of history. And so we're looking at these themes and asking ourselves, what does this mean for us today? We've already touched on the themes of our relationship with God, the nature of that relationship, being a covenant relationship. Talked about glory, the incredible perfections, beauty, power, majesty, the holiness of God, his character fully revealed, not veiled from our eyes any longer. Last week, we talked about wisdom, knowing what to do, how to live, and then actually doing it, a wisdom that's grounded in a fear of the Lord like it was for Jesus. And today, we're talking about home. And this is really what Deuteronomy 33 was talking about earlier in our first reading. A little context for that reading. That moment that we heard was a moment that took place in the wilderness just outside the promised land. It was part of Moses' blessing over the people of God. The people of God had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And what an incredible blessing that must have been, this promise of home, that God was going to give them home in the land he had promised their forefathers. Because 40 years in the wilderness is kind of by definition not home, right? You're always on the move, literally wandering. There's no, there's tents that you're living in. There's no farms. There's no fields. There's no walls. There's no structures. And that 40 years in the wilderness came after 430 years living in Egypt. Now that time in Egypt, there were good times for a while, but eventually the people of God became slaves to the Egyptians. And so those 430 years in Egypt weren't home either. Even in the good times, it wasn't really home. And you know that from your own experiences in life. 
Like you can go visit a place, maybe even visit for months. You can move to a new place and you can find it can be a great place. But something about it just, it doesn't feel like home. Because what is home? What does it mean to be home? Like we know that it's more than a building. It's more than a physical structure. You know, we've got that phrase, I don't exactly know who it's attributable to, but that phrase is, home is where the heart is. And it's a phrase that seems to resonate with us pretty deeply. And I think it's part of what actually Moses is getting at, one of the ideas in his blessing. In in verse 27, it said this, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Just think about that. That's a vivid picture that Moses is painting. Saying God is your refuge, literally God is your dwelling place and his arms are wrapped around you. Just in your mind's eye, can you picture the everlasting eternal arms of God scooping you up as if you jumped on his lap in that favorite warm chair, he's hugging you, he's holding you close, just lavishing you with his love and his warmth. These arms are what home is really about. Relational security. The arms of God are about that tenderness and affection and intimacy and warmth of home. Edward Koch was the chief justice and politician in England in the late 15 and early 1600s. He also adds to our understanding of home when he said this. He said, for a man's house is his castle. For where shall a man be safe if not in his house? Isn't this another truth that we feel and we know about home? Is that it's supposed to be a place of safety. And this was part of Moses' blessing. He says, Israel will live in safety. Jacob, another name for Israel, will dwell in security. In a land of grain and new wine where the heaven drops dew, there's this incredible sense of safety and security. Yes, safety from outsiders, from enemies, from physical threat of violence and harm and violation. But I think also with home, there's this sense of internal safety. Because home is supposed to be the place where you can be known and be safe. It's also part of why things can get ugly at home. You know, maybe that's just my house, you know, just kind of looking at me, so maybe that's just our house. But Because in the safety of our homes, we can take off our masks, can't we? You know, we have this sense about us that when we go out into the world, there's part of us that needs to protect ourselves. And as a part of protection, we put on a mask or we put on a show or we present a particular way of of being and of life. We play nice in the sandbox, but then we get home and maybe it's because we're just exhausted by constantly doing that. But I think it's also by design is that when we get home, truly home, you can take it all off. You can be seen, you can be known, you can be accepted, and you can be loved. That's home. And our hearts long for a home like that. This is the kind of home that was being promised to the people of God. It was also a home that was going to have land that was full of grain and new wine. Points to the reality that home is a place of provision. When you're really at home, it's where you have what you need. 
It's where you're taken care of. It's where you don't have to worry about the future. You don't have to worry about what's coming next. You have a confidence that things are going to be okay because at home is where we are provided for. Home is also a place of protection. And Moses tells the people that actually God himself is going to protect them in their new home, that he'll be their shield, their helper, their glorious sword. They don't have to worry or watch their back because God is going to protect them in their home. And all of these blessings that Moses is bestowing on the people of God, they're future promises because the people were not at home yet, were they? They were exiles which is kind of the opposite of being at your home, your exile. They were homeless. Now, I I can't say I know what that is like from experience, but I've, I've talked to many people who have been homeless. And when you listen to their stories in each of them, you do hear these threads of vulnerability, of insecurity, of fear, the lack of safety and protection and provision. There's this lack. And this is how the people of God were living when this promise of home comes to them, that God would bring them from exile to home. And this is a pattern that we see throughout Scripture and throughout history. When we pull the thread through history, these two themes, home and exile, are all throughout. If you go back to the beginning, when God created the earth and he makes Adam and Eve, God gives them a home, doesn't he? He places them in the Garden of Eden. It's it's a paradise home. It's a place of affection and intimacy. We're told that they actually walked with God. Like they just hung out with God in the garden. They were just talking, shooting the breeze, sharing life with God and with each other. It It was a place of safety. There were no threats. There was no death in the garden. So there was no predator prey relationship. But God gave them this incredible security in the garden as he provided so generously from the abundance of food that was growing everywhere. They had what they needed. Their home. But it didn't take long for home to fall apart, did it? For exile to come. You know, sin and the selfishness at the heart of sin destroys home. We saw it when Adam and Eve sinned, they eat the fruit. We see them, instead of having the relational security that they were intended, instead of being seen, being known, being loved, we see Adam and Eve run and hide from the God that they had been sharing intimate life with. We see them breaking their relationship with each other as they're blaming one another for the fiasco. Rather than the generous provision that they had received in the garden, the, the ground itself is cursed, and so their work becomes toil and struggle to provide, to make ends meet, just to, just to eat. And ultimately, we're told God exiles them from the garden physically. He removes them from the garden. He sends them out, and it was actually an act of his grace to remove them so that they didn't eat from the tree of eternal life at the middle of the garden and be eternally living in relational exile. They had this home, and then exile comes. But in the midst of exile, God chooses Abraham. And he makes a promise to Abraham. He says, Abraham, here's the deal. I want you to leave your current home, and I want you to go to the place that I will show you. This place is going to be your home. In this place, I will bless you. I will protect you. I will make you a great nation. 
And so Abraham begins to wander from his residence. He eventually passes through the land that God had promised him, discovering that the fullness of that promise was going to be experienced by his descendants. And so he continued to wander. His son Isaac continued to wander. Isaac's son Jacob, who would eventually become named Israel, he too wandered, and he and his children were the ones that ended up in Egypt, wandering as exiles. Moses is told by God to go up to Egypt to bring the people of God out of exile, but because of their lack of faith, they wander for 40 years. And finally, God keeps the promise through Joshua. He brings them into the promised land. He brings them home. And things go well for a while. They're protected. They're provided for. They have abundance. But then things break down again. Home breaks down again. The people in their selfishness, in their sin, they're unfaithful to God. They reject him. They reject his ways. They start pursuing other gods as their source of security, of comfort, of protection, of provision. And those gods that they tried to get home from couldn't provide what they wanted. And after many warning, after warning, after warning, God finally, like a good father, disciplines his children and once again sends them into exile. Some going to exile into Assyria, others to Babylon. And this is documented intensely in history. And it was once again in exile that the people longed for home. They sang songs of home. They sang songs of going home, not for Christmas, but they sang these songs of going back to the place of security, of intimacy, of protection, of warmth, of provision. They sang and they wept. This is the pattern throughout history of home and exile and longing. And I think it's not actually very difficult for us to see ourselves in this pattern. I mean, have you ever asked the question or ever wondered, is this all there is? Is this really it? Is this all that life has to offer? To even in asking the question, we're saying, is this home? This doesn't really feel like home. And I'm not saying your individual household, your individual home is a bad place. You may have a wonderful home. But even a great home is only a provisional and temporary home. Things are out of our control and change so quickly. Death interrupts the intimacy of the family. Job losses and health threaten the security that we've come to know. The normal course of life, of growth, children leave. And it changes the whole balance of what home feels like. Is this home? See, the followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have had a clear sense that no, this isn't home. There's more. And this is where Christmas comes in. So I want to just read really quickly this brief passage out of Matthew chapter 2. As we continue to pull this thread of home through history, if you want, you can follow along on the screen, but hear this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. 
Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. See, this, this is right after Jesus was born, after the Magi, or the, the ones that we call the wise men, had come to visit Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. You know, it's part of what we picture as the whole Christmas story, Jesus in his, his infancy. And it, you probably remember that story pretty well. If not, you can come back later. We'll read it again from Luke chapter 2. But you probably remember how Mary and Joseph have to leave their homes and go to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Jesus wasn't born at home. Jesus was born as an exile. But leaving that physical home was nothing compared to the home that the Son of God left to be born in the first place. The eternal Son of God left the provision, the security, the comfort, the warmth, the intimacy of heaven itself to be born in a manger on earth. See, he left his home to enter our home, to become an exile for us. And in what we just read, an angel shows up and tells Joseph, hey, I know you had to leave your home already and go to Bethlehem, but here's the thing, you can't go back. Take the child, take Jesus, take his mother, and escape to Egypt because Herod is going to try to kill your son. And so Joseph obediently takes Mary and Jesus, and they are exiled to Egypt. They're on the run from the moment Jesus is born. Eventually, Jesus goes back to Israel, and they're able to make their home, or at least their residence, in Nazareth. And yet Jesus knows that even that's not really his home as he grows and and gathers around him his disciples, his followers. At one point, he says this. He says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, did he really not have a place to sleep or to rest? Of, Of course he did. But what Jesus is saying is that this isn't my real home. He knew he was in exile from his true home, and certainly his exile here was one that didn't involve safety. In the end, we know he was condemned to death, exiled to go outside of the city of Jerusalem to die on a cross on a hill, on the outside. And in his death, he was exiled to the place of the dead, to hell itself. See, Jesus was an exile so that we could have a home. He told his followers in John 14, just before he was going to be crucified, he says, my father's house has many rooms. Right? Dad's home has a lot of space. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to get home ready so that you can join me. But Jesus knew that for him to return to the heavenly home and to make a place for us, who were sinners in exile, he had to pass through the exile of death and hell that we deserved so that he could rise again, so that he could return to the heavenly home. 
And the promise for you and for me is that no, no, this isn't all there is. There is a true home, a heavenly home. And at the end of history, that heavenly home and earth itself, the two will become one when God makes everything new and he brings us home. And Revelation tells us what that home is like, and it is glorious, because in that home there is no more death, and I don't, I don't know anything else at this time of year that makes us long for home like the experience of the grief of death. But in our true home, there is no more death. There is no more mourning, no crying, no pain at all. It will be a place of safety and security. It will be a place of abundant provision. There will be feasting. There will be partying. There will be celebrating. There will be joy and intimacy and warmth and love. There is a home for you. This isn't all there is. The longing we have for home at Christmas time is pointing us to a greater longing for the true and perfect home. And that that home, when we fix our thoughts on that true home, that place of true protection and security and warmth and affection, it can transform and it will transform the way we live day in and day out. It can transform the darkest places and the darkest seasons on earth because that vision of home can kindle within us a hope that, no, this isn't all there is. There is a true home. I love the, the Lord of the, the Rings trilogy. Just an amazing story. If you, if you haven't read it, just, you know, take a little time. You've got a little time probably over Christmas. Just, you know, it'll be fine. It's a trilogy. It's a little long. And if you're not familiar with it, the core of the plot line, I'm not giving a lot away, so it's okay. The core of the story is that there, there is an evil ring of power that has to be destroyed before the world is conquered. Now, you may not be into fantasy, but it, so just hang with me. If you understand that, then the rest of it is still relevant. So two of the main characters, Sam and Frodo, are particularly vulnerable. They're not warriors. They're not strong. They're not brave. They're not wise. They're not powerful. They're average at best, kind of like the rest of us. And they're the ones who have to go into the heart of evil, to the darkest place on earth. And along the way, they faced obstacles and trials and grief and violence and pain. And near the end of the story, it's at that point that the darkness seems like it's closing in even tighter. And I know that at this time of year, that's what it feels like for some of us. Even at Christmas. We've got these beautiful decorations and all these lights. It's almost like we're trying to force the light of the joy of the season into the darkness, but it feels like it's closing in even more. And it's at that moment that it's so important for us to remember the true home. It's at that moment that Sam, who's trying to encourage Frodo, taps into the reality of home, and he says this. He says, do you remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? That's their home. It will be spring soon, and the orchards will be in blossom, and the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. And they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields and eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Sam's tapping into the memory of home, the place of provision, security, safety, and warmth. Because it gives him hope. Frodo says, no, Sam. 
I can't recall the taste of food, nor the sound of water, nor the touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark with nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. See, Frodo has lost the vision for home. And when we lose the vision that there is a home greater than this one, when we lose the vision that, no, this is not all there is, when we lose the vision of the possibility that there is a place of genuine protection, safety, security, affection, and warmth, when we lose that, man, the darkness closes in. And we become hopeless. But Sam is holding on to the prospect of home, and because of that, he's able to do what Frodo couldn't do. He carries Frodo to the place where they can destroy the ring. Here's the truth this morning. You have a home. You have a true home. This isn't it. This isn't all there is. We have a home that is secured for you because Jesus the Christ became an exile took on our exile at Christmas and in his death so that we could have hope that no matter how bad things get or how dark things seem to be, that there is a hope, that there is a place of love and security, of safety, acceptance, provision, and warmth. There is a true home for you if you trust that the exile Jesus has secured it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we look at our lives, it, it is certainly, there's so many things that we can see and that we point at that help us realize that this, this can't be it. There's got to be more. We see it in war and destruction and we see it in, in the ways that we have angst and hurt and grief and longing. Oh, we see it. We feel it, and we long for home, true home. And Lord, for, for us who are in that space where the darkness feels like it, it's crashing in, help us reclaim that hope this morning, or claim it maybe for the first time. And if that's you, you can just pray this. Lord God, I long for home, and I trust that though I feel like an exile, Jesus became an exile for me so that you could bring me home. Lord, may that hope be kindled within each of us that no matter how dark it may seem, that light of your love, of your home, would shine bright within us. In Jesus' name.